And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Cast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NHL and Canuck ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The Canucks are home for one game and then back on the road, but there is a homestand coming up, so you will have a chance to get Canuck tickets and see them play at Rogers Arena. Head to the App Store or play now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Jay Patton Drancer back to start a new week as the Canucks come off the road. California Dreaming, five of six points down in the Golden State. And they're doing it with style. We keep thinking this can't last forever, and ultimately it won't. But in the short term, man, there's no let-up. There is no let-up, and there are reasons to believe that what we're seeing from this team on the offensive side of the puck is perhaps, if not quite legitimate, in that they're not going to score five or more goals 41 times over the course of the season. I mean, that's a ridiculous pace. But in terms of what they're generating, the volume of looks, scoring chances, expected goals, shot attempts. I mean, this team basically ranks top five or thereabouts by just about any offensive metric I can find to look at. When you sort of combine that with how the power play has looked with Quinn Hughes on it, and and Quinn Hughes' on-ice numbers at this point are, you know, I don't want to say pornographic, but next to it. And, you know, with Quinn Hughes on the ice five on four, right, the Canucks are generating 56 shots per hour, which would be far and away like that would be the best in the league by four shots it would put them in completely exclusive territory similarly the goals rate with Quinn Hughes on the ice would be bested only by the Boston Bruins whose power play has been you know throttling penalty kills across the league so far this season 
when I look at that, I see reasons to believe actually that so long as Hughes is healthy and returns to the lineup relatively soon and, and remains durable, uh, you know, this team could actually score be expected to score more on the power play than they already have, and they're already second in goals for on the power play. I mean, this is a high-flying Canucks team unlike anything we've seen, certainly since 11 and, and before that. I mean, really, West Coast Express, but, but, you know, this is a group that has a chance to sort of put themselves in that conversation among the elite offensive teams of all time. And you laid that all out, uh, spent your Sunday as you flew home from San Jose, and you kind of laid it all out. And it is remarkable as you sit and read it at The Athletic. Like, it's not just, you know, one category, as you point out. Like, it's, you know, the power play, but it's also even strength. It's the top-end guys, but it's also lower in the lineup. Saturday night in San Jose, Brandon Sutter with Josh Levo and Jake Vertanen went to town and the first goal of the hockey game there was so much to like in that one sequence it was size it was speed it was the physical side i mean levo was an absolute demon behind the net to come up with the puck and brandon sutter who you know we've talked a lot about is their offense there you know how much like he showed some poise some patience some finesse like people have said oh this guy can shoot he's got an nhl shot and we've seen that already but i was impressed with sort of the the poise to hold on to that puck and you know on his backhand to show a little finish as well it was just a really i mean it was a great road trip obviously but it was a really good night for that trio in particular no question and when i think about Things that I would not have expected. Predictions I could not possibly have made. Never in a million years, right? If you'd said to me six weeks ago, you know, a month into the season, everyone's going to be talking about Brandon Sutter's reinvention as a scoring line center. I would have, I would have laughed at you, right? I straight up would have laughed and howled and done my cackle, you know, that people think is fake, by the way, I hear from reading the Apple reviews of our podcast, but is absolutely not. Anyway... I, I genuinely would have laughed you out of the building, but you know we're seeing the Canucks currently are kind of using this Bo Horvat and like if it's the Canucks choice, right? Their toughest matchup is going to be handled by Beagle or Horvat. If it's the opposition's choice, the toughest matchup is going to be Elias Pettersson. And we're we're seeing that play out, and what's the, what that's created is this sort of scoring line, supporting role space for Vancouver's third line. Now, Vancouver's third line, you know, I've been saying going into the season, I've been saying for two months since I returned to the market, might be the Achilles heel of the team. There are still signs of that. But when I look at what Sutter's done, he's upped his shot rate significantly. He's found ways to produce offense with a variety of different line mates. There is extraordinary good fortune at his back here, and, and some of that won't continue. But, you know, in terms of shots for, shots against, he's coming out even, 50%. And... You know, that's a, that's a big help for this team. I mean, if they can find a third line, you know, if it's whether it's Sutter and Levo sort of continuing this chemistry they've shown, but if they can find a third line that can just hold their own and chip in some offense, I mean, what a massive help. That effectively addresses a flaw that proved fatal, fatal to this club over the second half last season. Right. The fascination for me, though, is the admission from Travis Green yeah. that he has now gone away at some point, uh, and he mentioned that on the road trip, that he has gone away from... Uh, his usual deployment of Brandon Sutter to free him up in this situation. But at some point, we're going to have to try to dig and scratch a little to find 
you know, at what point and the reasons, like where did the light bulb go on? Because a lot of people in the market have been saying that for a while, that you can't have these two dedicated checking lines and still have success in today's National Hockey League. And it does feel like there has been a transition in the coaching staff and the philosophy of the Vancouver Canucks, and it's paying off for them. Yeah, you know, I wonder if it was, you know, just another thing that Adam Gaudet can do. Uh, because you remember how the Canucks opened the season with that Erickson, Sutter, Levo line that looked like a pure camouflage group. And obviously they had that tough turnover to the Edmonton Oilers on the McDavid goal, you know, that iffy performance in the third period uh, against the Oilers. And then the very next game, Adam Gaudet's inserted in the lineup. Brandon Sutter bumps over to the wing, and we all know that Travis isn't going to give toughs to a uh, line centered by Adam Gaudet. I mean, you know, Travis clearly likes him and on and on, but we, I think, have a good enough sense of how the Canucks coaches manage their bench to say that with a good degree of confidence. You know, I suspect that it was almost abandoned by game two. I think at that point, you know, the Canucks sort of recalibrated here. And, you know, one thing that's interesting to note, too, is what effect that's had on the Bo Horvat line, because the Horvat line is still controlling play to an extraordinary extent. And unlike some of the other Canucks scoring lines, they have had brutal bounces. I mean, Bo Horvat's carrying a you know, on ice shooting percentage, a full standard deviation below league mean or very low and likely to regress in a positive direction for the Canucks captain. But you look at, you know, we're 14 games into the season. He has one even strength goal and that even strength goal belongs with it, deserves an asterisk since it came just as, you know, it's really technically an even strength goal coming just as time expired on that five on three uh, on the road in St. Louis. So, you know, while this is working and the team is winning, you do wonder if, you know, in terms of taking advantage of the offense that the top two lines can create, and, and there are reasons to begin to believe that the Canucks really do have maybe even a high-end top six, uh, you know, can they continue to sort of use a supporting line in more favorable circumstances if it results in, you know, Horvat chasing around the likes of Kopitar and uh, maybe not Logan Couture, but the Sharks' top line anyway, um, you know, and on and on throughout the season, especially as you get, you know, especially as these games get long and the schedule gets dense and you get into the 50s and 60s of games played. All right, the poll of the weekend had to be the video of Elias Pettersson playing badminton. <laughs> and the backstory there was, I mean, we saw the goal off the rush. And look, bounces are going the Canucks' way because Besser is trying to throw that puck to the front of the net. It deflects off the defenseman's stick to Pettersson, who was sort of a half-step behind but it was perfect. I mean, it came right to Pedersen, and of course, he bats it out of midair off the rush without blinking. And after the game, he was asked, do you play baseball in Sweden? And he didn't miss a beat. Perfect deadpan, as he so often is able to deliver, and said, no, but I played a lot of badminton. And you, somehow, or somebody, dug up video of this guy playing badminton. Yeah, so it seems that uh, Afton Bladet, which is one of the big Swedish dailies, uh, you know, had a photographer who went and spent some time with Pedersen this summer, and one of the things they did was they went to some sort of badminton lodge and played around a badminton. And and they have you know two or three minutes of video, and and honestly, it is Pedersen just schooling up this guy at badminton. I mean, you know there there have been times like I've seen pro athletes, for example, just in casual situations like pick up a foosball game, you know what I mean, and just start to crush people because at the end of the day, the hand-eye on these guys is just so ludicrous, right? That they can they can have never played foosball in their life. They'll be elite at it, um, you know, within a minute. Uh, Vincent Trocek, for example, uh, when it comes to um, cornhole, right? Like, he's unbelievable. He's a freak. So, 
you know, this video is three minutes on Aftonbladet in Swedish of, of Pedersen just schooling up this photojournalist at badminton. It was sent to me by a lovely Canucks fan whose name I don't have on hand at the moment. And yeah, I was able to quickly gif it, but how awesome that not only does he take advantage of these badminton skills to score, really a pretty remarkable goal. I mean, just outrageous. He actually got a lot on that shot too. There's no way, you know, I think that goal goes in 10 times out of 10, even against, you know, a goalie and uh, one of the elite goalies in the NHL. But to have that and then to sort of make the joke and then for us to find video evidence of, uh, of Elias Pettersson excelling at the game of badminton, I mean, you know, that's that, that doesn't typify what sort of a snow day first five weeks of the season this has been. Uh, I don't know what does. Right. And I mean, you know, the question is, what can't he do? Well, so put badminton on the list of things he certainly can do we know that he juggles we know that he can ride a unicycle like the guy is multi-talented on the ice off the ice and that sort of ties in neatly to the fact that this week on the athletic we're doing a deep dive on all things nhl culture local and national hockey writers have these great stories on everything from the league's biggest wine snobs art collectors trash talkers to a look at diversity in hockey the culture of nhl nicknames you wrote about uh, the nicknames here in vancouver not that long ago these stories give you a rare insight into the world of hockey off the ice and are a must read for any nhl fan so make sure to check that out on the athletic and at some point we may have to follow up with elias Pettersson on uh the badminton off season because i know he golfs as well and i'm sure he's a hell of a golfer so uh the guy just uh, he can really do it all and it was nice to see him recognized by the league. I don't know if players care that much about being named a star of the week, but it's just as nice to know that for a guy that's based here on the West Coast, and we always hear about the West Coast bias, and the people out East aren't paying attention, uh, they're paying attention. And how can you not with the start that he's off to, and it is kind of laughable now to think that, you know, a week into the season there was talk about a slow start and the sophomore slump because he's up to 20 points. He's a league leader in just about every category, the way, any way you come at it. And he's at 20 points now through 14 games. He had 66 points all of last year. So he's essentially a third of the way to his point total, barely, barely out of the first month of the season. And he just seems to be getting better right now with each game out. Yeah, you know, one thing I was looking at and I didn't end up including in, in the article that I wrote today about the Canucks' you know, offense and how sustainable it is was you know, this Pedersen-Miller-Besser line, right? Currently by shot attempt differential, they are the second best in the NHL among lines, forward trios that have spent at least 80 minutes together by shot um, shot attempt differential, right? They're, they're right up at 65%. It's like 64.9. Only the Couturier line is better. And the Couturier line spent a lot more time chasing leads than this Pedersen line has. Where I was astonished, though, to find something sort of remarkable as I was sorting, you know, the combos, these line combos, all of them in the NHL, and one place where the Pedersen line is first, absolutely number one by a bullet and by a fair margin, is if you look at expected goals against rate, the rate at which teams are generating, you know, quality chances and expected goals against this first line is the lowest as it, as it is against any line in hockey. So it's a weird thing, and it actually reminds me a little bit of the Twins, but you can't score when, the, when you're hemmed in the entire shift. That is the level of territorial dominance that this line is bringing. And that one stat is so remarkable to me because it begs a really odd question or a really counterintuitive question, which is, is the greater part 
of the Pedersen line's value defensive? And that's sort of a, an odd question. I mean, obviously, they're so interrelated that you can't really separate or tease it out uh, with any credibility. But I think it just goes to show that what these guys are doing isn't just enthralling. It's not just entertaining. They're doing it in such a suffocating way that they're actually limiting better than any line in hockey the sort of chances for goals that the opposition is getting at the other end of the rink. So I was sitting there with the extra hour I gained as we turned the clocks back. I was up early in San Jose, and I was just looking, and it jumped off the page at me that PD hasn't taken a penalty yet this year. And so I was curious to think, all right, I mean, you know, 14 games in, he'll take, he'll take a penalty at some point. He didn't take many last year. But then I was looking at other scoring leaders in the NHL, and like I had to go top 40, the top 40 scores. So essentially the top 40 best offensive players in the league. He's the only guy this year that hasn't taken a penalty yet. I was surprised the next highest point total without a penalty is Brendan Gallagher, wow. which surprised me. And that will, that will change. We know that will change. But the point I'm making here is, and it's just to follow on what you were saying, like, if you didn't know anything about Elias Patterson, you didn't know anything about his gifts on the ice and his incredible talent, like, already this season, you could put together a highlight video of his defensive plays that would boggle your mind, and to think that he's able to do it without ever putting a stick on somebody, without taking a hooking or a holding penalty, or, you know, Besser got his stick up in the face and took a double minor somewhere along the Like, that stuff happens. But this guy is so surgical. He is so precise in his body positioning and his stick work. Like, maybe it's not a surprise, but it just jumps off the page when like penalties happen. They do. And, you know, accidents happen. And yet this guy has yet to be called for a single. Like, it's it just another level uh, that you just marvel at what he's able to do. Absolutely. He's also drawing penalties at a super elite rate. And there's a ton of value, especially with the Canucks power play converting at, you know, 23% as they are right now. You know, every power play, every power play that he's drawing and not taking Right, every differential sort of piece that he drives there is worth 0.23 of a goal four for the Canucks right now. So, you know, with, with him at almost 10 penalties drawn, right, add two goals to, to what he's brought to the club in addition to, you know, not just his actual points, but the points that other teams aren't generating because with Miller, Besser, and Pedersen on the ice, with the exception maybe of the Anaheim game, almost every time we've seen them play together, they're just 70%. I mean, they're doing retro Sedin stuff in terms of just, you know, puncturing the lungs of opponents and playing the entire game in the offensive end of the rink. It's it's preposterous. And, and it really does create this environment, too, where the contributions from depth players on some level become more important because you don't want to waste a 65% top line. But on the other hand, also are... Um, their margin for error is a little bit larger, right? If Bo Horvat's not necessarily going to score at five on five the way he maybe has in the past because he's facing tougher deployments, like you can kind of find ways to survive. At this point, really all you're asking from your other lines is don't shoot us in the foot, don't, right? Be playable because what the Canucks are getting from their top line gives them such a mammoth advantage in every game they're entering. It's, it's really something to see. All right, everything going well for the Vancouver Canucks. I'm not sure where the, the segue is here, but uh, let's talk about erectile dysfunction because it's not an easy thing to talk about. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. 
Canucks are certainly feeling it these days. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and easy to use. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation, ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. Just go to roman.com slash Canucks to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash Canucks for a free visit to get things started. Getroman.com slash Canucks. All right, we were talking about the Canucks defensive play from a forward perspective. But I kind of thought it was an underrated part of those last two games in California. Quinn Hughes gets hurt in the first period in Anaheim. Ashton Sautner gets his opportunity. Unfortunately, him gets drilled by Brendan Dillon. He leaves that game in San Jose. The Canucks effectively played both games back-to-back nights, three and four, with five defensemen. Alex Edler logged over 30 minutes with overtime in Anaheim and backed it up with a 29-and-change night in San Jose. He had that incredible pass to spring Jake for Tannen on the breakaway. And for my money, I thought it was Jordy Ben's best game as a Vancouver Canuck. You know, he knew going in with Hughes out that he was going to have to take on added responsibility. His ice time was bumped. It was a season high for him. You know, he's never going to be flashy. He's never going to blow you away. But the Sharks had 53 shots against Winnipeg on Friday night. The Canucks held them to 15 even-strength shots on Saturday. So, yeah, the goals and the offense and everything they're doing at the one end of the ice is sexy, and it's getting the attention, but I thought that was pretty impressive stuff from the five defensemen that were forced to carry the load on Friday and Saturday night. Well, Jeff, you know I'm a careerist, so I do want to make sure Roman gets their money's worth from sponsoring the Nutsack. And so, you know, I got to just comment that those five defensemen who played both games of a back-to-back, uh, you know, down a man, I mean, they were obviously up to the stiff test, engorged with confidence. And, you know, when you look at, so I actually had a really interesting conversation with Jordy Ben in L.A. Because one thing I've noticed, uh, and, you know, this is also, it was pointed out to me and, and me and Jeremy Davis, uh, ex of Canucks Army, have talked about this a lot. But when you think about a player who profiles like Jordy Ben, right, third pair, you know, big coal miner's beard, right? Uh, black and blue player, uh, phys- known for the physical side of his game and defending in zone. You're often expecting a guy who's going to go glassing out or, or go flippy, as it were, flip the puck out of his own zone, uh, you know, as sort of a first option. And what you'll notice, or what I've noticed with Jordy Ben, is when Jordy Ben gets the puck, whether it's under pressure or whether he's got time, his eyes start moving around the ice and he's really looking to make a short pass. And he does that a lot more than your typical you know, defenseman with that profile. And, and I sort of asked him about it, and he said it was something that he really picked up on from Claude Julien in Montreal. And, you know, Julien told him basically and, and sort of made it simple, but, you know, th- to paraphrase, he said, you know, um, he really made it apparent to me and, and helped me understand that, you know, I should make it sure that I'm getting the puck to the forwards pretty quick because they're going to make a more skilled play than me. And, uh, and you know, he seems to have bought into it. I think it's a pretty unique attribute, and I think it's been key to what's made him successful. Now, obviously, there's sort of a time and a place for everything in hockey, and, you know, if you spend too much time scanning the ice, maybe the puck doesn't get up to the forwards quickly enough. He talked about sort of the need to balance that, but I do think it's something that he's brought, um, and I do think it's something that's made him effective. Now, the underlying numbers haven't been excellent for Ben, but they haven't been excellent for a lot of the players who 
you know, Tanev included, Beagle included, who especially are counted on to play sort of more of that those defensive shell minutes late. And, and I do think that's a, a, had a huge impact because to my eyes, when Stetcher and Ben have had minutes, uh, you know, the Canucks have been pretty good. They've been solidly effective, and there's a lot of reasons why that's worked. But, yeah, I thought Jordy Ben's play over the past, you know, certainly over the weekend, was crucial to the Canucks coming out uh, of the, that Anaheim-San Jose doubleheader with three points, uh, why they controlled both those games. And, you know, I do think the Vancouver third pair is probably good enough that they can handle a few more minutes than they've got so far this season. Um, you know, as we sort of, as this team gets into the meat of their season in this, you know, nightmare November, and, and really that nightmare extends through Christmas, both in terms of travel schedule, opponent strength, and, and density, uh, you know, I, I do think it would behoove uh, this Canucks coaching staff to find ways to limit the minutes, especially on Alex Edler. And, um, you know, one way to, the easiest way to do that anyway is to find more minutes for Stetcher and Ben. I think they've both shown themselves capable of handling it. Canucks are back home. It's a one-game cameo. The Stanley Cup champs are in town. The Canucks with that stirring comeback to beat the Blues in St. Louis at the start of the four-game road trip. Then it's back out on the road. And one of the beauties of all the podcasts that we do here at The Athletic is, you know, if you want to check out the latest on a Canucks opponent, find out what's going on. Obviously, Vladimir Tarasenko's injury, uh, a massive blow for the St. Louis Blues. But Jeremy Rutherford and Barrett Jackman, uh, they host the We Went Blues podcast, so you can check that out at The Athletic as well. Are, the Canucks are back out on the road. They're in Chicago and Winnipeg at the back end of the week. Are we allowed to let the cat out of the bag on your upcoming road trip? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm going to head to Chicago to watch the Canucks play the Blackhawks, and then I'm going off to watch the Utica Comets. Uh, I'll be watching a Utica Comets doubleheader next weekend with a ton of coverage from that coming up on The Athletic and at the next cast, of course. Uh, we will, you know, I'm going to catch them at home at The Odd, uh, a building that I'm told gets enormously loud and is one of those sort of low-ceiling cement mausoleums that for a certain age of hockey fan, like a game in those environments, just like it feels like at Nassau Coliseum, I mean, that's just what hockey should sound like if you're a hockey fan of a certain age, and, and that's myself included. So I'm really excited for that. They're facing the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, um, so that'll be fun. And then I'm going up to Binghamton to watch the Canucks or the farm team take on the New Jersey Devils, and as a result, I'll be missing that Devils afternooner, the Hughes Brothers rematch at Rogers Arena on Sunday. But, you know, this Utica Comets team shut out twice uh, since they ended their eight-game uh, win streak in which they were just throttling the league with you know an offensive record that exceeds even that of the Vancouver Canucks uh, through their first eight games. Be interesting to interesting to see players like Yolevi and Cole Lind up close. I uh, get to talk with some people. I'll, I'll write some features. I'll do some notebooks. I'll probably write three or four pieces out of the trip. Make sure I make it worth my while. And Jim told me that there's some decent Italian food in Utica. Uh, so I'll hit Travis Green up for some recommendations, and uh, looking forward, looking forward to working with the Comets, seeing seeing how things are going down there. Obviously, a little disappointed. I thought I'd maybe get to see Sven Berchi, but um, you know, good for him that he's up with the NHL club, and uh, should be a cool trip. Great scene in Anaheim. Jim was made available to us in the media before the Canucks took on the Ducks. And at the tail end, as it sort of broke off, you told him that you, about your travel plans, 
and offered to give him a ride from the airport. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Jim had been asked uh, if he was had plans to visit Utica, and he does, uh, following not this weekend, but the next weekend. Uh, so, I, you know, jokingly, I said, well, you know, I'm actually going to Utica this weekend. And uh, he sort of did know that because I'd set it up so that I could talk with him for about six minutes about Utica-specific uh, issues. And, uh, and so, you know, I told him, well, you know, if your plans change and you do come down, uh, I, ha I have a rental car booked, you're welcome to share. And, uh, and Jim made this funny smile, but, like, I don't think he immediately computed that I was kidding. I think he was calculating if he should, if he should take that offer up. And then, of course, you know, he's like, oh, you know, Pod Colson's going to be in town, so I got to see uh, that sort of um, Summit Series World Junior tune-up. And, uh, and we just kind of laughed, but I thought it was funny. I think he, I think he thought to take me up on it. <laughs> well, if you're going back out on the road, just a little friendly advice to make sure you have your passport. Because my day was spent on Sunday feeling bad for Patrick Johnson of Post Media, who was out on the California road trip with us as well. You got an early flight out of San Jose. Patrick and I, and we hadn't discussed this in our planning, and I kind of thought I was going lone wolf. I was flying out of San Francisco because I just didn't, at the end of a three and four trip, the idea of a 6 a.m. flight didn't really strike me as a good idea. And there was a 10 a.m. direct from San Francisco. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. Turns out that Patrick was on that flight. So we share an Uber from San Jose up to San Francisco, get out of the car, get into the airport, and he starts doing like the pocket check, you know, front pocket, back pocket, hoodie pockets, at which point I realized, like, he's looking for his passport and he's not finding this thing and he turns his briefcase upside down in the airport goes through his suitcase thinking that maybe he had put it in a pair of pants pocket that was inside the suitcase and like I felt for the guy they you could see his panic was just gripping him and you know like there's nothing I could do at that point like he either had his passport or he didn't and as it turned out, he had left it on a flight the day before from Anaheim to San Jose. He got quite fortunate that Alaska Airlines had found it and had tried to track him down, but he was carrying two phones and wasn't using one of them while in the States. So anyways, I can happily report that Patrick was reunited with his passport. He got home, not on my flight, but damn, it was a reminder. Like as I watched this in real time, to, I feel like I should have my passport tattooed on my arm or something because, man, like my heart went out to this guy that was just and, and you like you know Patrick as well as I do like nothing phases oh, him, happy-go-lucky, easiest guy in the world to deal with and so I'd never, ever seen PJ panic the way he did yesterday at San Francisco Airport. Uh, you know I, I'm a firm believer like my passport only lives in one place right it lives in a folder that I ha keep in my and I never take it out, it only lives there and, and there's a reason for it. And you know, I'm glad PJ got home, but what a, what a scary experience. Now I'll, I'll tell you, on my flight, I flew out on the 6 a.m. And, and I didn't book it intentionally, I just thought I'd rather suffer at home uh, than you know, hang around um, the Holiday Inn in San Jose for an extra few hours. So I booked the early flight. Daylight savings time came in clutch, ended up actually getting to sleep for four hours. but. The Uber took like 15 minutes to pick me up because it is, you know, a 5 a.m. or 4.30 a.m. pickup. So I get to the airport a little bit late and security line takes forever. And I go and I get a coffee because I obviously need one. And they 
page me, right? They page passenger Drance, please report to gate one uh, for on-time departure. And I thought, wow, a, a page for on-time departure, it's two minutes prior to the listed boarding time on my ticket. So I start walking with pace and I'm about 12 minutes away, about as far in the airport as I could be from the gate. So I'm, you know, I've got my big NHL duffel bag, my other bag, my suit um, bag, cause I'm vain as hell, right? And I'm, you know, speed walking through this terminal and doing the like, excuse me, excuse me for people who are like lined up into the sort of general area well beyond their gate. Finally, I'm getting really close when they page me again, right? Paging passenger Drance, uh, this is your final boarding call, right? So now I run, I sprint to get to the gate. And I get there and I look at my, and you know, I'm on time, but I look at my phone and I am three minutes past my scheduled boarding time according to my ticket. And they have paged me twice by name causing a significant panic. So I kind of, I kind of give it to them, right? I'm like, look, I'm, I'm fighting a cold. I, I worked until 1 a.m. last night. I've just run through the airport and you put me through this, it's caused me the stress level over three minutes. I mean, what are you doing? This, I'm three minutes past our scheduled boarding time. Like this is ridiculous. And um, you know, they just kind of look at me and they're a little bit taken aback, but they were polite about it. And they're like, sir, your boarding documents, please. Right? <laughs> they had no time for me. So I show her my passport and she takes my passport, looks at it and she goes, sir, are you sure you're Canadian? Which I thought was an excellent piece of digging the knife in. I was actually really impressed. I laughed and I was instantly no longer mad. I was like, touche. I boarded my flight. I immediately fell asleep. All right, I want to finish with maybe my favorite moment of the road trip here in California. Post game in San Jose, we work the Canuck locker room, we're finished, you and I, we go back, we get in the ground floor elevator, and the elevator goes up one floor, it stops, the doors open, and the moment you locked eyes with Bob Bugner, who is now an assistant coach with the Sharks, but of course he was the head coach of the Florida Panthers, and you had to be the last person in the world he was expecting to see in that moment after his team had just been shelled and obviously they're in the shitter right now and it's not going well like i don't imagine he was in a great mood but the look on his face as he was trying to board the same elevator and he <laughs> processed the fact that like damn it's drancer <laughs> well you know and it's one of those things too where if they'd won against winnipeg right or if they their season was going better or if it hadn't been a back-to-back -back for both teams, right? I probably would have sent him a text and tried to say hi to him pregame, right? But it was one of those where I was like, nope, you know, there's no way anyone in that room is happy. Uh, it's a back-to-back. -back. I'm not even getting to San Jose until three hours before the game. You know, w whatever. They play five more times this season. I'll have plenty of opportunities. So I didn't let him know. So yeah, so he walks in he's shocked, right? Like he was genuinely surprised. Um, we sort of we sort of pounded out, and he's just like, "I didn't realize you were in town," <laughs> which was great. But look, good to catch up with him. Uh, you know, he's a, he's an extraordinarily bright and detail-oriented guy, and I think if he gets another shot uh, in a different environment, perhaps as a head coach, I think he could do a good job. Uh, hopefully, for his sake and and for his team's sake, that's not in here and coming up here in the next few weeks, but. Something certainly didn't look right with that San Jose team we watched on uh, on Saturday night, and it'll be interesting to track. Uh, you know, one thing from the Canucks' perspective is when you sort of looked at 
the Pacific Division and sized it up prior to the season, I think the team that stood out as being takeable among the clubs that made the playoffs last season was San Jose. So far, anyway, it's shaping up well. Uh, although, of course, there's still that hated rival in the desert, the Arizona Coyotes, to contend with. <laughs> and, of course, the Oilers are still looking up <laughs> right? at the Edmonton Oilers. But they got the Stanley Cup champs coming in. That'll be a good test for this Vancouver team. And then it's back out on the road, and we will catch up with a new Nux cast uh, from along the way somewhere later in the week. Before we wrap things up, though, a reminder to ask you as listeners, our loyal listeners, to rate and subscribe on Apple. And we should tell you as well that if you go to theathletic.com slash NuxCast, you're going to get 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. So uh, check it out if you're not already a subscriber. Uh, the podcast here, the NuxCast, uh, just one more element for you. All kinds of great stories, whether it's Grancer, whether it's uh, Boy Genius, uh, Wyatt checking in with the armies as well. But uh, we want to thank you for your support of the NuxCast as we move into the second season the second month, rather, of the National Hockey League season. The Canucks on their roll, and we'll be here to document it all season long. For Drancer, it's J-Pat. Thanks so much for listening to the next cast here on The Athletic and theathletic.com.